The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. Healthcare and a Wednesday night massacre. This is Thursday, July 20th, 2017. Thank you very much for listening and for supporting this free independent news when you use and bookmark the Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. It's tricky when there are so many urgent issues to know where to start. The crisis in our democracy is a strong contender, and we'll get to that, and soon, including a Trump threat to fire special counsel Robert Mueller. But our health and personal security always come first. It is exactly six months today that the president and his all-Republican Congress vowed to repeal and replace Obamacare, and despite their presumed control of the House, the Senate, and the White House, they have not delivered a single major piece of legislation, not the least of which is health care. Six months is not a long time, but it's a lot longer than Trump had promised, saying at one point it would happen within the first 30 days of his presidency. But then he also wildly claimed he could do it himself. What he can do is inflict more damage upon Obamacare rather than fix it. Fixing Obamacare, a need upon which everyone agrees, was never on the table for Trump or the Republicans, and now their latest efforts have failed after seven years of promises failed to either repeal or replace. Granted, a vote is still set for early next week on a plan to repeal but not replace Obamacare. That would deny insurance to 32 million people. But it's already clear that effort will fail since fewer than 50 Republicans and zero Democrats support it. In a come-to-Jesus luncheon with Republican senators yesterday, Trump made it clear inaction is not an option and asked the senators to cancel their planned August break, the one they had already postponed. He wants Congress to stay on the job until they've passed a health care bill. He said that the day after he angrily tweeted he should just let Obamacare fail. In 24 hours, Trump went from repeal and replace to just repeal to let it fail. Now he's back to repeal and replace. Pressure from voters has helped keep the Republican plans from coming to fruition, and that voter pressure continues at offices in Washington and around the country. Having repeatedly failed at health care, Republicans in Congress have rolled out their 2018 budget proposal. It would appear to balance the federal budget after 10 years, but it does so by cutting spending on Americans in need by $200 billion. The House Budget Committee calls the proposal building a better America, but it slashes more than it builds. And although it contains money to build Trump's beautiful, invisible solar Mexican border wall, although that part is not expected to survive the rest of the Republicans in Congress, what the budget plan also does is pave the way for Trump's plan to change the tax laws, and it continues to chip away at Obamacare. This budget plan assumes that Obamacare won't be around, saving the government $200 billion over the next 10 years. But Obamacare is still the law of the land. The government's Social Security Administration will take in tens of billions of dollars this year, but by 2022, it will pay out tens of billions more than it takes in, and the clock is ticking. Social Security's cash reserve will run out by 2028. A new Treasury Department forecast says that without action, by 2034, benefit checks would be slashed. Social Security will have to cut what it pays out in benefits and Medicare by nearly 25 percent. 
Social Security already has a $1.5 trillion deficit, and that deficit is expected to more than triple in the next 10 years. It's happened because people are living longer after retirement and because of the millions of baby boomers who have or are retiring. The Private Organization Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget says Social Security is no longer a problem for future generations. It's a problem for this one. Current Social Security benefit recipients can expect a 2% cost of living raise as early as November of this year. And while retired and working Americans scrape by, the economy's humming right along on Wall Street. J.P. Morgan Chase made well over $26 billion in its latest fiscal year, the biggest profit of any bank in American history. So there's that. As for the crisis in our democracy, President Number 45 is taking aim at his own attorney general, the deputy attorney general, the acting FBI director, and special counsel Robert Mueller. Trump's also indicating he'll try to reshape the executive branch so the new FBI director answers directly to him instead of answering to the Justice Department. In an interview with the New York Times, Trump said he regretted hiring Jeff Sessions as attorney general and would not have done so if he'd known Sessions would then recuse himself from the Russia investigation. Ethics rules require that an attorney general appointed by a president recuse himself from any investigation that might involve himself or the president, as is the case in the Russia investigation. Sessions had no choice but to recuse, despite being the first person in the Senate to endorse Trump for president and providing Trump with much of his domestic policy, especially regarding immigration. Normally, after a president expresses no confidence in his attorney general, the AG resigns. Trump also expressed a lack of trust in the man he chose to be the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. In Watergate, Nixon fired his AG and Deputy AG for refusing to stop that investigation. Today, Trump is using a backhanded method to perhaps achieve the same result, trying to make Sessions and Rosenstein quit. When the story broke last night, Sessions had no comment. Will they quit or will they stay and fight? Or worse for Trump, testify against the new president. Also frightening, Trump hinted to the New York Times he would fire Robert Mueller as special counsel if Mueller began looking into the business dealings of Trump and his family. The New York Times also reports that Deutsche Bank, the bank from which Donald Trump got most of his loans, Deutsche Bank has agreed to turn over Trump's bank records to special counsel Robert Mueller who is clearly looking into the thing Trump has now warned him not to, at the risk of Mueller losing his job. We learned on Tuesday that Trump had an extra secret meeting with Vladimir Putin at the G20 summit in Germany earlier this month. It is not unusual for world leaders to buttonhole one another for five or ten minutes at such affairs. But Trump and the KGB-trained Putin met for nearly an hour just out of earshot of other world leaders who couldn't believe what they were seeing and worried again about Trump's commitment to NATO. Attendees reported the other world leaders were startled to witness that meeting. The only person who could hear and understand both sides of the conversation was a Russian interpreter. The American interpreter on hand doesn't speak Russian. There was no one else from the United States present to record or make notes about a meeting between Trump and the leader of an effort to get Trump elected a leader who's been described by military leaders in this country as the greatest foreign threat to the U.S. There is no government record of that meeting, as there would normally be. 
Trump met with Putin without a briefing beforehand and without experts at his side, as other presidents have so prudently done. The hour-long meeting occurred toward the end of a a three-and-a-half-hour dinner after Trump and Putin had met more visibly earlier in the day. That earlier meeting ran more than four times longer than scheduled, and the only government to outline its view of what happened in that meeting was Russia. No readout from the United States. The U.S. government gave no report on that meeting and is incapable of giving one about the secret meeting that occurred later that evening. Eyebrows went up in Europe about the Trump-Putin meeting. Eyebrows in the U.S. remain wrinkled. And we keep learning more after the revelation that White House advisor and Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, met with a Russian lawyer, as did Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort and the president's son, Donald Trump Jr. With two interpreters, that brought the number of people in the room to six. It was after Jr. admitted to the meeting and swore he was being transparent that we learned of something else he hadn't bothered to mention that a Russian lobbyist trained as a Soviet military intelligence officer was also in the room. That's seven. And now we know, no thanks to Donald Trump Jr., there was an eighth person in that room, a man who's been contacted by investigators working for special counsel Robert Mueller. That eighth person is Ike Kavaladze, who was once investigated by Congress over a Russian money laundering operation that involved American banks. His lawyer is the same lawyer who represents a Russian real estate billionaire and his son, the Russian pop star that Trump befriended during the Miss Universe pageant in 2013. This lawyer says his client works for that Russian billionaire's family as a representative here in the U.S. The lawyer says his client was at the meeting to serve as an interpreter, but felt his presence was unnecessary since the Russians in the room already had an interpreter present. The lawyer assures us there were no more than eight people in the room, although there were several more Russians than the Trumps had revealed. And this revelation again changes the story told by transparent Donald Trump Jr., who has now changed his own account of the meeting four times, usually after being called out by journalists. We have been falsely told the meeting didn't happen, then that it did, but it was about something else, then that it was about supposed dirt on Clinton, and then that there's nothing wrong with having such a meeting. Trump Sr. tweeted that any politician would have had that meeting. The FBI says a law-abiding citizen would have avoided the meeting and reported the Russian overture to the FBI. Instead, Trump Jr. took that meeting eagerly and brought Dad's campaign manager and Dad's closest advisor with him. The Trumps have also argued that if the meeting was so nefarious, the Secret Service should have stepped in and stopped it. But Junior wasn't under Secret Service's umbrella at the time, and that agency had no such jurisdiction. And although Junior has opened himself and others up to criminal charges, the person who has perhaps the greatest reason to be nervous at the moment is top Trump advisor Jared Kushner. Kushner has now updated his security clearance application three times, and it now includes over a hundred names of foreign contacts. Kushner listed none of those contacts when he first applied for clearance, and he's now at risk of losing that clearance for not divulging this crucial information, possibly losing his job. And although Trump Sr. claims he just heard about the meeting between his top campaign aides and Russia operatives a few days before we found out about it, we now know the White House started preparing for this revelation weeks beforehand. 
That preparation did not pay off since the stories being pushed by Trump's people fell apart as they scrambled to explain the meeting once it was public. Instead of turning the matter over to their numerous lawyers, as would normally be done, the White House aides tried to manage the crisis on their own and faltered badly. Special Counsel Robert Mueller has just hired a new prosecutor, a prosecutor who successfully put behind bars a man who didn't tell all on his security clearance application. And Kushner, Manafort, and Trump Jr. are all scheduled to testify for the Senate Intelligence Committee next week. In other developments from the Trump-Russia scandal, the digital director of Trump's campaign has been called to testify this month for the House Intelligence Committee's investigation. Brad Pascal has agreed to tell all he knows, which he says isn't much. Investigators know the Russians could not have so precisely targeted their fake news stories to pivotal election districts as they did without help from inside the U.S., Investigators say it might also have been an American who helped Russia release thousands of Democratic Party emails. And then there's the apparent suicide of Republican operative Roger W. Smith, who died just 10 days after admitting he had paid Russian hackers to find and release Hillary Clinton's emails to help the Trump campaign from outside the campaign. Smith appears to have taken his own life in a hotel that's often used by patients at the Mayo Clinic. His suicide note said he was in ill health and that his life insurance policy was about to expire. But the note began in all caps with the words, No foul play whatsoever, knowing that foul play would be suspected. The mystery gets wider and deeper. The investigations continue. That's why all the lawyers. Trump promised jobs if elected, and it certainly worked out well for the legal profession. Trump, his son, his son-in-law, and former campaign officials have all lawyered up, usually with multiple attorneys. And some of the money to pay those lawyers is coming from Trump's 2020 re-election committee, which has doubled its spending on lawyers in the past three months. Trump 2020 has already spent nearly $700,000 on lawyers, more than twice what it spent before the Russian probe started to heat up. That's a total of a million bucks on lawyers just since the start of the year. It's handy for the Trumps to have those donations now, with the election for which it was supposedly established still three and a half years away. And we now know that a lawyer was hired for Don Jr. well before the revelation of his campaign meeting with Russian officials. All these lawyers have made it difficult for White House officials to answer reporters' questions. Increasingly, White House spokesman Sean Spicer is referring those questions to the lawyers. Between the attempts to rip away health care and the criminal investigations into Trump's key people, most of us haven't even noticed his theme weeks. According to the White House, this is Made in America Week, to be followed by American Heroes Week and then American Dream Week. Medicine, health, and health insurance, says the White House, will not be themes. Past themes include infrastructure, energy, and technology, and none of them seem to have changed anything. But Made in America Week is one worth noticing since hardly any of the fashions or other merchandise from Trump and his daughter Ivanka are made in the U.S. or even the American continent. The vast majority of Trump goods are made in China, Japan, and Vietnam. And this week, his Homeland Security Department announced it's letting in 15,000 more foreign workers to do jobs for which no qualified Americans have applied, perhaps because there are so few Americans qualified for those jobs. Made in America Week does not include any plan to train American workers for those or any other jobs. 
Next week, again, is American Heroes Week to honor the military in which this president has never served. Although it won't likely be delivered, Donald Trump has promised a beautiful wall along the U.S. border with Mexico. Congress isn't likely to approve the money for it, especially a Republican Congress that's looking to cut the budget at every turn. Trump also promised Mexico would pay for the wall, and Mexico's made it clear that's not going to happen either. But in Trump's mind, the wall's going up, and it will, according to what he told reporters on Air Force One last week, look good. Even with the solar panels Trump recently added to the wall of his dreams. And now he wants his wall to also be invisible, or at least see-through, glass or plexiglass. Quoting the President of the United States, when they throw large sacks of drugs over, they hit you over the head with 60 pounds of the stuff, adding, it's over, meaning you die. In Trump's mind, we're still building a big, beautiful, see-through, solar-powered, generating wall to be paid for by Mexico. In his mind. You may have heard that last week a congressman introduced a bill in the House to impeach Trump. Lifelong Representative Brad Sherman introduced articles of impeachment to remove Trump from office, accusing Trump of obstructing justice by firing FBI Director James Comey. Brad Sherman found another Democrat, Texas Congressman Al Green, to co-sponsor the measure. They both know their proposal is going nowhere for now. Not a single other Democrat on the Hill is ready to back such a dramatic bill, which is doomed to failure in a Republican-controlled Congress that's still hoping to reap some benefits from its love-hate relationship with Trump. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has cautioned against such cavalier moves, concerned it would turn off moderates and independents too early in the Russia investigation. Republicans won't even entertain the idea of impeachment, and Democrats in Congress say this isn't the time yet. But many Americans think it is the time. A new Monmouth University poll shows that just six months into his term, 41% of Americans are ready to impeach Donald Trump. 41%. That is nearly twice as many people as wanted Nixon impeached six months into his second term. It has taken Trump only half a year to hit the low mark Nixon hit four and a half years into his administration. Contrast and compare. After four and a half years, as the Watergate scandal unfolded, only 24% of Americans wanted Nixon impeached. Six months in, as the Russia scandal unfolds, 41% want Trump's impeachment. On the flip side, six months into Nixon's second term, 62% of Americans opposed impeaching him. Only 53% of us oppose impeachment of Trump. Granted, that is a majority, but just barely, and it's shrinking. To say that this president is unpopular is an understatement. And these numbers might be devastating to a person who desperately needs admiration. Donald J. Trump is the single most unpopular president in 70 years, with a disapproval rate of 58%, according to an ABC News Washington Post poll. Disapproval on Trump is up five points from April. Trump's popularity is down from 42% in April to 36% today. 36% and falling. Seven in ten of us agree he's unpresidential. Nearly half of us think our country's leadership in the world has weakened since Inauguration Day. Nearly two-thirds of us don't trust this president very much, but nearly half of us don't trust him at all. Fifty-five percent say he's failed so far in achieving his policy goals. Sixty percent of us say Russia tried to influence the outcome of the 2016 presidential election. Forty-four percent 
think Trump benefited from that interference. 41% think Trump's people helped Russia with its multi-layered cyber attack on the U.S. That's the ABC Washington Post poll, which Trump called the least accurate of all polls, which is another in a long line of false claims from Trump. So let's turn to Trump's declared favorite poll, Rasmussen, a conservative poll, which gives him a 56% disapproval rating. A new Bloomberg poll, meanwhile, puts Trump's unfavorable rating at 55%, 12 points higher than it was in December. 61% of us say the U.S. is headed down the wrong path, and a number that's 12 points higher than it was seven months ago. 65% of us in that poll find Trump's behavior unacceptable. And a new Wall Street Journal NBC News poll shows that Trump supporters in 439 counties that voted for Obama in 2012 but Trump in 2016 agree with Trump's policies but hate his style of being personally combative. Nearly 8 in 10 Trump supporters strongly disagree with his approach to health care. Nearly two-thirds want him to put down the Twitter. More than half don't like his refusal to release his tax returns. And more than half disagree with how he's handling all things Russia. Even key voices at Fox News Channel have turned on Trump. While Steve Ducey reassures the president each morning that, quote, the Russia story is starting to fall apart, which it isn't, Shepard Smith is on in the afternoons. Late last week, Smith had heard enough and tore into the Trump White House. Why all these lies, asked Smith. Why is it lie after lie? To colleague Chris Wallace, Smith said, the deception is mind-boggling, and there are still people out there who believe we're making it up, and one day they're going to realize we're not. Then they too, said the anchor, will wonder, quote, why are we getting told all these lies? Fox owner Rupert Murdoch also owns newspapers that are also turning on Trump. Murdoch's conservative Wall Street Journal has run a series of editorials slamming the Trumps for withholding information about their conversations with Russian operatives. The journal also criticized Trump for denouncing leaks as fake news and pointed out his 36% approval rating. Murdoch's New York Post calls Don Jr. an idiot and criminally stupid. The Post also published an editorial about Trump's tweets that contained only three words. The editorial said, stop, just stop. That ABC Post poll had 68% of us calling Trump's tweets inappropriate, 65% of us view the president's tweets as insulting, and 52% see them as dangerous. To say this president is unpopular is an understatement. Another poll by the Washington Post and ABC News reveals that a slight majority of registered voters want the Democrats back in control of Congress in the 2018 election. 52% of us want Democrats, only 38% want Republicans. And we now know the grim reason that Senator McCain's questions didn't make sense at that much-watched James Comey hearing. The 80-year-old, widely respected senator had a cancerous brain tumor, a relatively simple procedure to remove a blood clot from the communication part of McCain's brain uncovered an aggressive form of brain cancer. It's the same cancer that killed Ted Kennedy and Bo Biden. People over 55 who get it have only a 4% chance of surviving it. There is hope for life-extending treatment through radiation and chemotherapy, and McCain has already beaten a deadly form of skin cancer. The Mayo Clinic surgery successfully removed the tumor, and he'll spend next week at home recovering from that procedure. 
McCain, a war hero for surviving five years as a prisoner of war, had served Arizona in the Senate since 1987 and served in the House for Arizona before that. Support for his success in this difficult battle has come from every political corner, and I want this corner to be included in that support. For all the times that we may have disagreed with McCain, we have and always will respect him. Up next, a cop's using deadly force roundup, why you really need to read the fine print, and this week's comment from Bob Seska. I so appreciate the support you've shown for this free and independent newscast by doing as much of your shopping as possible through my Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. You land right on your very own Amazon page. You get the same great prices as always. If you believe in what we're doing here, it's very important you go to buzzburbank.com, click on the Amazon link, and bookmark the page to make it one of your favorites. And whether you're already a Prime member or shopping Amazon for the first time, going through that link even just once helps sustain this program. Amazon has nearly everything you need right at your door and in two days or less for Prime members. Plus, you get Amazon Prime Video, which comes with the Prime membership, along with music, books, and more. And please, use my Amazon link if you buy things for your office, school, church, or some other organization. To those of you who already shop through my link, again, thank you. And if Amazon's not right for you, you can also support this program by clicking on the PayPal button just below the Amazon button in the upper right corner at buzzburbank.com. The Congressional Budget Office is to numbers what PolitiFact is to politics. Both are fact-checkers clear of political influence. The CBO is the nonpartisan office where numbers are crunched on everything from health care proposals to presidential budget proposals. That office has also had a chance to carefully study Trump's federal budget proposal for the fiscal year that starts this September. The Trump administration says his budget would eliminate the federal deficit in 10 years. False, say the apolitical number crunchers. The CBO says Trump's proposal would leave the deficit at $720 billion, even if his proposal would reduce the national debt. Trump's claim that his budget would cut federal spending by $4 trillion? True, says the CBO, although many are unhappy about where those cuts would occur and about where more money would be spent. Trump's claim that his budget would give the nation a peppy rate of economic growth, 3%. The CBO says there's no evidence that economic growth would be affected by Trump's budget whatsoever. House and Senate Republicans have their own proposal, as mentioned earlier. But there's a fair chance there'll be as much division among Republicans on this as there is on health care. Most likely, they'll all agree to kick the can down the road some more and pass another stopgap government funding measure, exactly like the one passed in February that's keeping the government open today. The U.S. will now only be taking in fewer than half the refugees President Obama's pledged we'd accept. That's because of the so-called Trump travel ban, which has already reached its limit for the year. Obama had planned to make way for 110,000 people who are fleeing the terrors of ISIS and other violence. But that number has now been cut by 60,000, and the new 50,000 limit has already been reached. There will be fewer refugees this year than last year, by 25,000. Refugees who have family here or work here or go to school here can still find refuge in the U.S., so that total will actually rise above the limit, especially now that a court has expanded the Trump administration's definition of family to include grandparents, grandchildren, brothers and sisters-in-law, aunts, uncles, and cousins. The Supreme Court, as of yesterday, has upheld that expanded list, which is another defeat for the Trump administration. 
Travel from six mostly Muslim countries was restricted for at least 90 days from a start date of June 29th. A four-month ban on refugees also remains in effect, and the Supreme Court also yesterday granted the administration's request to enforce that refugee ban even more strictly, at least until a federal appeals court can weigh in. Amnesty International USA says the United States is turning its backs on people fleeing the world's most desperate situation. And Amnesty says that's not like the U.S. There are a lot of things that are not like the U.S. these days. Keeping track of them is our friend Salon.com writer Bob Seska. Thank you, Buzz. For many years now, we've talked about how Fox News viewers and conservative talk radio listeners are hopelessly brainwashed, trapped in a marketing and propaganda bubble designed to exploit the knee-jerk rage of upper-middle-aged white men who resent that it's not 1957 anymore. Consequently, we have a not-insignificant chunk of the voting population that's more ensconced in fantasy land than most. While there are those on the left who are untethered from reality, statistically speaking, the right is much more willing to rubber stamp their party no matter what happens. A recent comparison of partisan voters on the right and left showed that Democrats tended to disagree with their own party far more often than Republicans. Following Trump's botched airstrike against Syria, Brian Butler observed, quote, Today, most Democrats are similarly apprehensive. Only 37% back President Trump's weekend bombing campaign. Republicans, by contrast, have had a near total change of heart. The same Washington Post-ABC News poll finds that 86% of Republicans support the strikes, suggesting that a huge number of them based their decision on the proxy of who happened to be president at the time. Negative partisanship, the observable effect that antipathy to the other party has on public opinion, seems like everything else in U.S. politics to be asymmetric between the parties. Republicans are the key drivers of it. Unquote. In other words, Democrats were mostly opposed to action in Syria, regardless of whether there was a Democratic president calling for the attack. Republicans, on the other hand, were opposed to the attack when Obama was proposing it, but now support the attack because it was Trump who called the shot. Likewise, Republicans have a significantly better view of the economy now that Trump is president, whereas Democrats have roughly the same view, regardless of who's president. It turns out that Trump supporters might be the worst offenders when it comes to supporting their guy no matter what going so far as to deny the existence of actual confessions by Trump, and in this case, his son, Donald Jr. Public policy polling previewed a breathtaking statistic from their forthcoming poll results. Quote, Nugget from our national poll coming out tomorrow, only 45% of Trump voters believe Donald Trump Jr. had a meeting with Russians. Unquote. Yeah, so it appears as if a majority of Trump voters don't believe that Jr. met with Russian government operatives, even though Jr., as well as the president himself, confessed that the meeting took place. He not only confessed, but he did so in writing. Further verifying the meeting, Trump tweeted about it yesterday, making it seem as if the obvious collusion was politics as usual. The president said, most politicians would have gone to a meeting like the one Don Jr. attended in order to get info on an opponent. That's politics. While we're here, it's more than a little hilarious to see the president and his fanboys on Fox News defending this meeting as if it was no big deal, as if there aren't countless other reports illustrating the broader context of the Trump-Russia conspiracy to hijack the 2016 election. Even if Junior's meeting was nothing, and it wasn't nothing, it's treason, there are so many other fronts on this story, many of which are being actively pursued by congressional committees and, naturally, the special counsel and his team of untouchables. 
Don't be shocked if you overhear Trumpers denying the roundness of the earth or denying that humans can't breathe underwater. When a majority of Republican Trump voters are this detached from objective reality, especially knowing that reality or a version of reality has been confirmed by their own guys, including Trump, they're willing to believe anything or disbelieve anything. Are they aware of the confession? Maybe. It's unclear whether Fox News is spending much time on the story, given how the confession is what it is. Concrete verification of a criminal conspiracy to meddle with the election and beyond. But if they're aware of the confession and yet refuse to accept it, it proves that around half of Trump's voters are completely delusional and disconnected from reality. It also indicates that it'll be nearly impossible for any of them to be redeemed and returned to sanity. I'm Bob Seska for Buzz Burbank News and Comment. Thanks, Bob. Catch him every Tuesday and Thursday on The Bob Seska Show here at RealmNetwork.com. And I am proud to now be one of the regular guests on that program. I will see you there again on Tuesday. In California, a little over a month ago, Bakersfield police answered the call about a man with a machete near a grocery store. Their suspect was 30-year-old Douglas Washington, who's 5 feet 10, weighs 170 pounds, and he's bald. The responding officers did not see him, but they did stop an African-American on a bicycle. The cyclist is a 19-year-old female with hair who's 8 inches shorter and 55 pounds lighter than the man they were seeking. She says one officer grabbed her by the wrist and neck, punched her, and threw her to the ground where the officer's canine grabbed her leg with its teeth. Tatiana Hargrove says the officer then brought her to her feet, zip-tied her wrist behind her back, zip-tied her ankles, and threw her into the back of the car. Officer Moore says Tatiana threatened to leave the scene against police orders. Officer Vasquez says he punched her in the face when he believed he was at a disadvantage. Once under arrest, Officer Moore asked her name. She said, Tatiana, don't lie to me, said Moore. That's a girl's name. What's your name? I am a girl, said Tatiana. I just don't dress like one. This, writes Moore in his police report, this is when I first discovered she was female. The officers say they mistook her for their suspect, despite the differences in their physical appearance. Tatiana had to get medical treatment and was then charged with resisting arrest and assault on an officer. Bakersfield PD is promising an internal investigation. The community is calling for body cameras on the officers. Oh, and as for 30-year-old machete owner Douglas Washington, he was arrested later with no struggle at all. In Chicago, meanwhile, a white officer sued for beating a black woman while she was handcuffed, once owned websites packed with racial slurs aimed at African Americans. The city of Chicago, which is accustomed to paying such settlements, paid this woman $185,000 to settle that lawsuit. This officer also has a history of brutality, including a case in which he beat a minor and banged the boy's head against a wall. That incident is likely to get this officer fired. Quoting the woman beaten while cuffed, although I will be compensated for my pain and suffering, I am not happy. I am trying to push past this, but it is hard. I hope my case will make a difference. In Cincinnati, the officer who shot to death unarmed black motorist Sam DuBose last year will apparently never be convicted for that killing. He's been tried twice for murder and manslaughter, both juries deadlocked even though Officer Ray Tensing was wearing a Confederate flag T-shirt under his uniform at the time of the killing. And it's been noted that nearly 84% of the traffic tickets he'd written involved minority drivers. 
The prosecutor calls this outcome, this lack of a third trial, incredibly disappointing. My heart breaks, he said, for the DuBose family. But the prosecutor says after talking to jurors black and white, there was balance on both juries, he believes he can never get a conviction. The U.S. attorney for that district, however, is more optimistic about getting a civil rights conviction against the officer. A much better chance, says U.S. attorney Ben Glassman. Quoting a letter from the DuBose family, Tensing should know, we ain't done with you. There are also those rare cases in which police officers use deadly force on an unarmed, innocent, white person. A 40-year-old blonde Australian woman and engaged-to-be-married yoga instructor, veterinarian, and life coach was shot to death by police over the weekend in Minneapolis. The victim, Justine Diamond, is the same person who had called 911 to report a suspicious noise behind her house, a woman being attacked, perhaps, some screaming. She spoke with one of the responding officers at the driver's window of their patrol car. Suddenly, the partner officer in the passenger seat shot her. We don't know why. The firing officer is refusing to speak with investigators. His partner says they were both startled when they heard a loud noise. The officer who fired the fatal shot was wearing a body camera, but didn't have it on. The investigation will look at why. There have been past complaints about Officer Muhammad Noor. Neither the department nor the officer have explained any of this, only saying the incident is under investigation. The woman's stepson is demanding answers. I am so done with all this violence. America sucks, he said. These cops, said the Australian stepson, need to be trained differently. The Australian government is also now demanding answers. If there was any doubt that Penn State executives might somehow escape going to prison after covering up for kid-toucher Jerry Sandusky, those doubts have been put to rest. Former Athletic Director Tim Curley and former Senior Vice President Gary Schultz both reported to a county correctional facility in Pennsylvania where they will spend two to three months behind bars before they are transferred to house arrest for several more months. They'll also have to pay $5,000 fines and each do 200 hours of community service. Both pleaded guilty to child endangerment and felony conspiracy. Former Penn State President Graham Spanier is still awaiting his sentence after being convicted of child endangerment. University executives going to prison has sent a clear message to school administrators across the country. The elderly ex-football assistant coach Jerry Sandusky is serving what amounts to a life sentence for sexually abusing at least 10 boys during his time at Penn State. Former House Speaker Dennis Hastert, meanwhile, also accused of sexually molesting boys but serving prison time for federal fraud, has now been released from prison and into either home confinement or a halfway house. Daunting as it may seem, we should probably read all those terms of service agreements we sign on such a regular basis. Otherwise, you could end up cleaning out porta-potties or unclogging sewers. A free Wi-Fi provider in the U.K. known as Purple put into its fine print, its legally binding contract with its customers, a clause that requires them to perform 1,000 hours of community service work. The contract spells out the customer's options, scraping gum off the streets, picking up dog poop in the parks, and the aforementioned porta-potty cleanings and sewer unclogings. The company says their clause is a reminder that any number of very, very unfair things can be written into the user agreements we sign without ever actually reviewing them, including giving away your private information and browsing habits. 
This company had also promised to give a prize to any customer who actually read the contract and found this amusing clause. Only one customer came forward to claim the prize. The rest should perhaps buy a pair of waterproof work gloves, even if the company has no intention of enforcing its community service clause. Everything's fine for now, we're told, but for a while, personal information on 14 million Verizon customers was on the Internet for anyone to see. Digital records show that in the end, no one accessed the information who shouldn't have, except for the cybersecurity experts at a website called UpGuard. UpGuard employees found this open door, and the company notified Verizon, which says its cloud contractor has now corrected the problem. It's another reminder to use tricky passwords, to use a different one for each site, and to keep them all in a secure place. Places that don't take plastic can be inconvenient, but their prices are usually lower. That's because the credit card companies can take up to 5% of every dollar a company earns with fees upon fees upon fees. And that's why it's interesting that Visa is now offering selected businesses a half million dollars cash each to stop taking cash, 50 small restaurants, cafes, and food trucks are now being tempted with this cash from Visa. And Visa's telling New York City it could increase its revenue by nearly $7 billion a year and save nearly $200 million on labor by eliminating cash. MasterCard has only 20% of the credit card market. China's Union Pay has the biggest share at 37%, and Visa which is now offering businesses cash to switch to cashless, is at 32%. So close to being number one, it can taste it. A ton of entertainment news and all the fun stuff in the third and final segment, Up Next. A smooth, clean shave from a blade that feels expensive comes right to my door at half the cost of the big-name brands. That's what I love about shaving with products from Harry's, from the hefty, balanced handle that really fits your hand, to the precision-engineered five-blade cartridges that come with a trimmer blade, a lubricating strip, and a travel cover, and Harry's Rich Lathering Shave Gel. It all started when two regular guys named Jeff and Andy got tired of getting ripped off on blade prices. One certain company relentlessly jacked their prices and made a fortune while we all spent a fortune. Jeff and Andy wanted to fix shaving. So they started by cutting out the middlemen. They bought their own factory, one that's been making engineered blades for over a century. So now they can ship top-quality blades straight to you. The result? Quality products at your door for half of what you've been paying. That's right, half. That's the Harry story. Be part of it. Jeff and Andy are so confident you'll love their products, they want you to go to harrys.com right now to sample their Trials Shave Set free. It's a $13 value, but all you pay is the shipping. Sign up at harrys.com slash R-E-L-M. And because you listen to this newscast, Jeff and Andy will even throw in a free post-shave balm. But only if you log on to harrys.com slash R-E-L-M. For some people, there's nothing quite as important as getting a selfie wherever they go, whatever they do. One Los Angeles woman may think twice next time. She was visiting the 14th Factory Gallery, ostensibly to see a display by Hong Kong artist Simon Birch. Each small and delicate piece of art was displayed atop its own tall white column, and the columns were lined up on rows that people could walk among to view the pieces up close, almost at eye level. The woman who wanted the selfie had whirled around to snap it when she fell. She knocked down the column behind her, and it knocked down 
dozens of others like dominoes. Some of the art pieces can be saved. Some are lost forever. Total damage estimate for her selfie, $200,000. No word on whether the exhibit was insured. The Trump-fueled Saturday Night Live tied for first place in the most Emmy nominations this year, tied with HBO's Westworld at 22 each. Westworld's up for best drama along with Better Call Saul, Stranger Things, House of Cards, The Crown, Handmaid's Tale, and This Is Us. Best comedies include Veep, Silicon Valley, Master of None, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Modern Family, Blackish, and Atlanta. Best TV movie nominees include two episodes of BBC Sherlock. You can find the full list at Emmys.com. The award show is September 17th on CBS, hosted by Stephen Colbert. It was a big week for TV news. The Game of Thrones season 7 premiere crashed HBO's website, and Jodie Whittaker became the first woman to play the 13th Doctor Who. And it was a good news, bad news week for Netflix, which got 91 Emmy nominations this year. Netflix also added 5 million new subscribers in the second quarter of this year, and its stock value jumped 11%. The bad news? Netflix production of original shows has it spending more money than it's taking in. There was sad news as well, the passing of actor Martin Landau at the age of 89, Landau turned down the role of Spock on Star Trek to appear instead on Mission Impossible. He also starred in two of my favorite movies, North by Northwest and Ed Wood. A Golden Globe winner, Landau's career lasted for decades, including nearly 200 movies and TV shows. Also this past week, the death of a stuntman on the set of The Walking Dead. The 25-year-old died of blunt force trauma after falling 25 feet from a balcony landing on his head on the concrete below. The death has temporarily shut down production of The Walking Dead. The Screen Actors Guild is investigating. When it comes to zombies, the father of that genre was George Romero. He died at the age of 77 after making a name for himself through his classic Night of the Living Dead. Quoting one of Romero's friends, Goodbye, old bean. It was great to know you. Come back any way you can. Also passing this week was the man who fought tirelessly to keep women out of the Augusta National Golf Club. Hootie Johnson also changed the club's rules to make it harder for Tiger Woods to qualify for the Masters there. Former Chairman Hootie Johnson died Friday at 86 from a heart problem. But still very much alive with a generous heart is former President Jimmy Carter. At age 92, Carter was back on a Habitat for Humanity construction site just one day. At the age of 92, just one day after collapsing from dehydration in the hot sun as he hammered and sawed for another home for people who need one. Although largely ineffectual as a president, Carter has survived cancer and set an example of citizenship for us all. Paul Sinat of Palm Beach, Florida, says he didn't even know the AK-47 he was holding had fired, much less know that he'd shot a guy in the neck. Paul was in the back room of a strip club he co-owned when the gun went off. The bullet Sinat said he didn't know he'd fired killed the club's handyman who was changing an air conditioner filter. Sinat was arrested on manslaughter charges but posted his $35,000 bail the next day. And then he went to Las Vegas and entered a poker tournament. And he won over $100,000.
It isn't clear if this accused felon violated travel restrictions, but he apparently gets to keep his poker money. There have been an increased number of mountain lion sightings lately in a small northern California town, so it would make sense that the locals might have dreams about mountain lions. One apartment dweller in Calusa who was sound asleep found herself beneath a mountain lion and then realized it wasn't a dream. The big cat had crashed through a window and landed on top of the woman along with shards of glass. The building manager says the woman remained remarkably calm and opened her back door so the cat would leave, which it did in a hurry. The incident will be the main subject at a county fish and game commission meeting this week. In the meantime, sweet dreams, Calusa. And just because a union files a grievance about you doesn't mean the people in the union dislike you. I know this firsthand. In my case, the people in the union filing the grievance were my friends who knew I was in a union too. So it wasn't personal. I had unwittingly violated the terms of their contract with our mutual employer, and they filed a grievance to protect their jobs, and we remained friends. So the union landscapers at Western Michigan University don't necessarily dislike goats, but they're angry at the people who brought in the goats. When the lawn mowing season began earlier this year, the school found a way to save money. They brought in a herd of goats from a company called Munchers on Hooves. Into July, the goats are still feeding on the fescue or whatever variety they use to green the grounds at WMU. Goats also have their own method of picking up litter. They eat it. So while the school still needs landscapers to trim trees and shrubs and blow the walks, the mowing is being done by the goats. It's a slower process that's also cheaper and more environmentally friendly. But it means the landscaping company had to lay off its WMU mowing crew, union guys. And those grass cutters have a collective bargaining agreement, so they have filed a grievance against the school over the goats. The billy goats have made the union boys gruff. Dry eyes is one of the many annoying symptoms of aging, so when a 67-year-old British woman went to the doctor with eye discomfort, she and the doc both believed her problem was, in fact, dry eyes. It wasn't. The doc took a closer look, and the problem was suddenly crystal clear. The woman had multiple contact lenses over her cornea. It was more like a stack of contacts, 17 of them, one on top of another. That would explain the discomfort. Then the doc found 10 more contact lenses under the woman's eyelid for a total of 27 contacts in one eye. The woman started wearing a disposable contact in that one eye 35 years ago and just never went back to an eye doctor until now. Regular eye exams can catch things like that and could have caught earlier the woman's failure to take them out at bedtime. She's lucky she didn't get an infection and or lose her vision. Now, at age 67, the woman can see better, and she's no longer uncomfortable, so long as she remembers to take out her contact at night, because forgetfulness is another symptom of aging. From the home office in Florida, in a freak accident, a metal pipe weighing three and a half tons fell onto a van being driven by a 36-year-old Orlando man. Overhead on I-4, a Mack truck crashed into a guardrail and overturned. A 7,000-pound pipe rolled off the cargo bed and fell on top of a Pontiac van being driven by Jesus Escobar on the highway below. Jesus is fine. Astoundingly, he walked away with only minor scratches. 
His van, not so much. The driver hauling the pipe got a ticket for careless driving. Jesus got to keep living. If your ATM spits out a note asking for help, it could be a joke. Or someone might really be trapped inside the little room behind the ATM where they collect deposits and add stacks of cash. It's also the room where the repairman works when the ATM breaks down. And it was one of those repairmen who got locked in that room after hours, his cell phone still in the truck, after hours at a Bank of America branch at Corpus Christi, Texas. The repairman wrote a note and put it on top of the stack of 20s, but the next customer ignored the note, perhaps thinking it was a prank. Please help, he wrote again. I'm stuck in here and don't have my phone. So the ATM's prisoners wrote a second note and a third. Those notes were also ignored, perhaps by customers who suspected it was one of those hidden camera gags. But at least one of them did call the police just in case. It must have been a relief to know that a cop had arrived, except that at first the cop also thought it was a prank, until the officer heard what sounded like a human voice coming faintly from behind the cash machine. Police broke into the bank and into that little room and rescued the repairman who is no doubt feeling a little withdrawn. Strip clubs are not known for their cuisine, but they have to pass a health department inspection just like McDonald's or any other place. In Amarillo, Texas, Cassidy's Polo Club, although it has very little in common with the sport, always gets at least average scores on its cleanliness, but the strip club did get an unusual demerit in its latest inspection. In the container that holds the bar utensils, the inspector found a breast implant. The head of the Amarillo Health Department says the item was, quote, removed immediately and the item is resolved. Drink up, boys. They won't let you carry a can of beer on a plane, even if it's unopened, but in some cases you can leave it at checked baggage. Australia's Dean Stinson did exactly that with a can of Emu Export, flying it from Melbourne to Perth to see if it would survive in the belly of the plane. What could possibly go wrong? Qantas Airlines was up for the challenge. The airline wrapped one of those tough paper barcode straps around the can, the same tag they wrap around luggage handles, but nobody bagged it or sealed the can in any way. They just put it in a bin and put it on the plane. Dean says seeing his can of beer coming off the conveyor belt in one of those big plastic tubs in perfect condition was the, and I quote, greatest moment of my life. In Deerfield Beach, Florida, just outside Miami, the Adair family awoke Saturday morning to hear several loud thumps on their roof. They got out of bed, went outside, and found two packages in the side yard. They got up on the roof to see if there were more. There were three more packages. So they opened the packages to see if they were drugs. Uh, that wouldn't be surprising around Miami that packages of drugs might fall from the sky. But it wasn't drugs. It was meat. Sausage. Italian sausage. Fifteen pounds of it. And the only markings on these sausage packages were from a company in at Atlanta called William Land Service. Well, they must know something about this, but they don't. No idea. Because Florida, quoting the matron of the family, it's just so odd. Do bears poop in the woods? Not always. Somewhere in Wyoming, one bear made it into the home of Max Brighter and used the living room floor. Max was just getting up in the morning, just waking up and getting ready to walk the dog when he saw in the kitchen what appeared to be a big dog. 
It was a bear. Max and the bear stared each other down for about nine seconds, upon which Max made a beeline for the bathroom and locked the door. Max wisely had his phone with him and called the seven other people in the house, and they locked themselves in their rooms too. But Max's barking dog seemed to make the bear uncomfortable, whereupon the bear moved into the living room and moved its bowels. And then the bear broke out a screened window and ran down the hill. Fish and Games advice? Call us if the bear comes back. In Utah earlier this month, a man eating a sandwich inside his home discovered he had an indoor bear, and he managed to chase it out through the garage. When the authorities arrived, they could not find the bear because while they were looking outside, the bear was hanging out back inside the house again. And finally, police in Gilbert, Arizona, southeast of Phoenix, are advising parents that the glassware in their kid's backpack is probably not for chemistry class. Posting a pic of bongs and glass pipes, the PD tweeted, If your kid tells you they need any of these items for chemistry class, they are lying. Hashtag back to school shopping. Hashtag I don't think so. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thank you for listening. And thanks for supporting the shows and sponsors at BuzzBurbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank news and comments. The preceding presentation was brought to you by The Realm Network.